So how many of you have read this book? It's, been on, it's always been on the book table unless we run out. Um, don't waste your life by, of course, none other than John Piper, my favorite American preacher. I think uh, from the very beginning, we've been doing this 12 years, I think from the very beginning it's the, it's the book that's moved the fastest and the most volume that's come out of the, off, used to have a book table, now it's the book shelf. Um, and I think a couple years ago we did this in young adults, didn't we? Uh, was it three years ago? So, um, it's a good book. I, rec- I highly recommend it. Um, we have one in inventory, I think. There may be another one over there, but I'm going to put this in the bookshelf. Um, we're pretty low on inventory. God used this book in a major way in my life uh, about 13 years ago, and I've, I've had more than one of you tell me that God has used it in your life. I had one young woman tell me that it blew her life up in a good way. And um, some years ago, and I, I've always loved that. I've always remembered that. Um, so I want to tell you two true stories from the book. I think I've used this before a couple of years ago, but it's been a while. You may not remember. I want to recount these stories to you, then I want you to tell me which one is the greatest tragedy. Um, first story, Ruby and Laura, uh, medical missionaries in Western Africa. Uh, they were there for decades uh, ministering to the medical needs of the people there and sharing the gospel with unreached peoples. Uh, One morning they're on their rounds, their brakes went out of the car, they went over a cliff, and they were killed instantly. Um, Second story. A couple by the name of the Joneses lived in northeastern United States. They retired early. He was 59, she was 51. They moved to Florida and bought a sailboat, and they spend their days sailing, playing softball, and collecting shells. Is that a tragedy? Which one of these stories is the real tragedy? Now, some of you think it's a trick question. It's not a trick question, uh, but it's a question that I think reveals our perspective on how we see life, what the purpose of life is, why indeed we are here uh, in the first place. I think it helps us understand if we're taking the long view or the short view. We've been talking a lot about this. The long view, of course, is the eternal view. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the view of heaven, right? The short view being the temporal view. I'm just, I'm earthbound, and I, I, all I can see is the earth, and all I can see are my temporal issues. That's all I can see. I never, I never look up, I never look beyond my temporal issues. That's the short view. So I think the question here, which one is the real tragedy? I think the way we answer it might give us some sense of, of the fact of whether we're taking the long or, or short view. If you stop a thousand people on the street and ask them this question, mo- most likely 990 or so will, se- will certainly say the first story is, is the real tragedy. Um, but you might run into a Christian or two or three or four, you know, one of those sold out Christians that is hopelessly in love with Jesus, and they might tell you that the greatest tragedy is someone wasting the last two or three decades of their life maximizing their pleasure. Right? John Piper writes, talking about Ruby and Laura, 
These two lives were driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the poor for the glory of Christ. Even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles, their lives and deaths were not a tragedy, but a glory. And then John Piper says this about the Joneses and their early retirement. He says, Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your Creator be this, playing softball, collecting shells. He says, Picture this couple before Christ at the judgment. Lord, look. See my shells? He says, That's a tragedy. That is a tragedy. I got two qualifications on these illustrations. I just want to make myself clear. We're not all called to be missionaries. That's not the point. That's not the point here. That's not what I'm saying. But we are called to be disciples, right? In fact, John Piper has a chapter in the book called Making Much of Jesus 9 to 5, right? It doesn't matter if you're a homemaker or an accountant or a teacher or a designer, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. That's your mission field, right? That's your mission field. So that, I, don't, I don't want anybody to be confused. I'm not saying you have to be a missionary or you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And what, what I mean by that is a vocational missionary. We're all missionaries. We all have different orbits. The second qualification I have is it's not wrong to retire. It's not wrong to retire from your, uh, the, the vocation that God used to provide you with your uh, material sustenance for, for the bulk of your life. It's not wrong to retire. What's wrong here is what they're doing with their retirement. What they're exclusively doing with their retirement. Which is simply to maximize temporal pleasure. What I, the point I'm trying to make with these illustrations, are you taking the long view or the short view? That's really the point that I'm trying to drive home. Jesus warned us about the short view. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And immediately... Thereafter, Jesus exhorted us to take the long view. He said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the title of the sermon. You know, we're in this series, right? We get to. Well, the, 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 the sermon tonight is we get to lay up treasures in heaven. We get to do that. No other people on the planet can do that. Only born-again Christians get to lay up treasures in heaven. We get to do it. It's a seamless, in my view, extension from what we talked about last week, right? that we get to live forever with God. So we get to lay up treasures in heaven. Every time I preach to you, every time you walk in that door, I am exhorting you in one way or the other to take the long view. Life is too short. Some of you don't believe that yet. Some of you don't believe that life's too short. You think you can have your own little personal set of of of, of priorities over here, you know, God's over here, but I can keep my own little personal set of priorities and, and that'll be okay. And, 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 and I'll give God some time when I can. Some of you aren't convinced yet that your greatest joy is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. 
God tells us in the Scripture over and over and over many, many, many times that we're not here to stay, we're here to go. And I was trying to think of an analogy um, so you can get some sense of just how short um, your temporal life is as compared to your eternal life. And the only thing I, the only thing I could think of was was you ever seen that thing on on YouTube where where there's the lady laying in the grass? It's kind of it's going it's it's all over Facebook right now. There's this woman laying in the grass, and then it the camera just backs out, and it goes out 11 billion light years away. Have you seen that? What I'm trying to say to you is what your what your temporal existence is. It's what Earth looks like from 11 billion light years, right? I'm trying to give you some scale. I'm trying to give you some scale. As I said last week, most of your existence will be after you physically die, right? You got to get, listen, beloved, you got you to get off the earth, right? In your mind. You got to get your eyes up. You got to realize you're heading for eternity. This, you know, this is for, yeah, a few minutes as compared to eternity. We've got to get our thinking right. And I just want to make sure nobody's... I don't think anybody in here is confused, but there is no reincarnation and there is no annihilation. The Bible is explicitly clear. We will exist in heaven or in hell. We, we have an immortal soul. We do not go out of existence. There's no such thing as soul sleep. You will exist eternally somewhere. I just want to make sure we understand what the Bible teaches on that. Many false teachers today refute the existence and the eternality of hell. And in doing so, they're calling either Jesus ignorant or a liar. There's more about uh, the eternality of hell from the lips of Jesus than anyone else in the Bible. Uh, This is an important aspect for us to keep in mind. So, there are only two kinds of people in the world, ultimately. I know you hear this all the time, but I'm going to use it for my purposes tonight. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who take the long view, those who take the short view. You can just, that's the dichotomy of the human race. There's a remnant that takes the short view. Everybody else is on the broad road, right? This is the Word of God. So my question to you tonight, which road are you on? (laughs) We talked about our noetic structure. Was it last week or the week before? I forget now. It's your worldview. Bam! First thing. Bam! I am eternal. God is there. I will live somewhere. I will exist somewhere forever. What am I going to do? What are the implications of that? How will I live in the interim? Right? How will I, how will I employ this life? That should be pretty close to the top of our noetic structure. Very quickly, this is the 13th sermon in this series. I'm just going to give it to you real quick. And This is one way we are good stewards. Tonight I'm going to be talking to you about good stewardship, laying up treasures in heaven. Okay? But some of the things we've talked about thus far is because we are uh, 
the disciples of Jesus, we get to pray, we get to worship, we get to obey Him, we get to believe Him, we get to suffer for Him, we get to be made holy by the Spirit of God, we get to give of our resources, we get to love and serve the church, we get the truth, the truth is Jesus, we are His witnesses, and we can live abundantly on the mountaintop and in the valley. Last week, as I said earlier, we talked about the fact that we will live forever. The people of God get to live forever. And on our way to our forever life, this is what I want to say to you tonight, you get to lay up treasures in heaven. So, is that, is that something that you take seriously? Laying up treasures in heaven? Is that in the noetic structure? Bam! Right? Up there pretty close to the top? I'm laying up treasures in heaven. Today. Today. When I wake up, I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. It's what Jesus exhorted us to do and cautioned us not to lay up treasures on the earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. Not only has God saved us, right? I was thinking about this. He came for us. He saved us. He's enabled us. He's empowered us. He's gifted us. He indwells us. He's done all the heavy lifting. All we have to do is open our mouth in the world, right? And maybe hand somebody a cup of cold water. Jesus says the man will not lose his reward even if you give uh, someone a simple thing like a cup of water. He's doing it all. He's done it all. But then He says, if you'll obey Me, if you'll be a faithful steward of what I've given you, I'm going to reward you. <laughs> this is... It doesn't make sense to me. But this is how lavish God is, right? I don't deserve a reward. He's doing all the heavy lifting. Any good I would do on this earth is the good He's doing through me. But He says, He says, I reward my people. To me, this is a beautiful and breathtaking thing. So I hope you understand God is serious about this. God has gifted you. He expects you to use your gifts in the world. Obviously in the church and in the world. If you are taking the long view, you will be expending energy in being the steward of God. Using the endowments that God has given you. And expanding the parameters, dimension, scope, proportions of your own eternity. We'll talk more about that as we continue. I just want to share Jonathan Edwards' When he, was, when he was a young man, I think he was in his early 20s, he wrote down 60 or 70 resolutions to live by. And um, number 22 is this. I love it. He says, Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way I can think of. Is that how you think about Laying up treasures in heaven. Is that the kind of uh, energy you're giving to it mentally and physically? Listen to these words. He says, With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert or in any way I can think of to store up as much happiness in the coming world as I possibly can. Wow. That's huge, right? That's huge. That's huge. I love that Edwards' worldview was dominated by his heaven view. 
God says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, if then you have been raised up with Jesus, that's a big F, right? If, you, if then you have been raised up with Jesus, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That's the question for you and me this evening. Have we done that? Or did we start doing that at some point in the past? But I now have become distracted. If I'm honest with myself, I look myself in the mirror, I realize I have allowed myself to be distracted by some temporal thing that shines. Set your minds on the things above. And I'm just going to ask you, are you? Are you setting your minds on the thing above? things above? Or are you like Edwards? Are you exerting your power and your might and your vigor and your vehemence? Because you believe what Jesus says. You know, God doesn't just use vacuous phrases in the Bible. He doesn't just say things to hear Him speak. He says, lay them up! Lay up treasures for yourself in heaven! We're going to talk about that tonight. You remember the parables. We're going to talk about the, the parables of, of the minas and the parable of the talents. And we're just going to take a look at that in Scripture. You know, I've seen it. I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> Some people are too spiritual to be concerned about rewards. Um, I think this is a backhanded sort of disrespect to the Word of God. God puts the reward out there. And it's not like it's not that we're mercenaries. That's not what I'm saying. But you know, to, to, to be too spiritual, to be interested and concerned about the, the rewards that God has put in the Word of God for His people, to me this is piety run amok. Uh, God has promised this. Why is God such a giver? He just is. Right? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. God calls us to be givers. It's just what He does. He's a giver. That's all He does is give. He never stops giving. For a billion eternities, He'll give. Yeah, it's going to be a pretty cool deal. So last week I exhorted you to keep your mind on heaven, to think about it, to concentrate on it, to dream about it, to fantasize about it, to the degree that it changes how you live every single day of your life. Laying up heavenly treasures. The Bible talks about and uses the term steward. To be a steward. To exercise stewardship before God. I looked it up for you. Let me define it. To be a steward is a person who manages another's property, finances, or affairs. God has given you physical and spiritual life. If you're a Christian tonight, you have both. You have physical and spiritual life. You have gifts, talents, money, wealth, uh, mental and physical capacities, etc., etc., etc. They are all, you hold these as a steward, as a stewardship before God. These are all gifts from God's endowments uh, from God for the glory of God. In one sense, as you've heard me say many, many times, every breath is a stewardship. So I want us to see from the Bible how our stewardship, how we manage all the gifts all the manifold gifts of God into our life, 
how that determines the scope, dimensions, and proportions of our eternity. So to, to do that, first we're going to look at Luke 19. I hope you'll turn with me to Luke 19. It's the parable of the Menas. Um, and what I want to what I want you to see from these stories, <laughs> every every one of us, every one of us in this room are, are in these parables, right? Whether you're an unbeliever or you know merely a a, a person playing at, at Christianity as a religious person or or a true believer, all all of us, in one way or another, are in these parables. I'm not going to develop all aspects of the parables. I'm going to simply concentrate tonight on the stewardship and the reward. Okay? So let me pick up here. Luke chapter 19. I want to pick up verse 12. A certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return. Obviously, this is a picture of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. And he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, do business, I referenced this last week, do business with these until I come back. So all that God has poured into your life, God means for you to do business. It's a stewardship. Everything, gift, ability, capacity, uh, resource, it's not yours. We talked about it last week, I think. It's not yours, it's God's. God has graciously given them to you. And our function is to be a good steward a good steward of them. Verse 14, it mentions the, the citizens that hated him and they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Obviously, this is the, 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 the man who, who admits that he hates God. Verse 14, we're not going to talk about that tonight. Verse 15, and it came about that when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that the slaves to whom he had given the money, he called to him in... Uh, be called to him in order that they might know what business they had done. Okay, so there were ten of his slaves with ten minas. Uh, so each slave got one. Many people understand this parable to be talking really about the life God has given. Right? God has given you one life. What are you doing with it? Is it all about you? Or does Jesus, Jesus Christ factor in? Each, each slave got one. I think that's a good analogy saying that it is the life. What business has been done? Uh, verse 16, And the first appeared saying, Master, your minah has made ten minahs more. Verse 17, He said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. Be in authority over ten City. So we see there's an accounting. There's, there's a, a giving of the life. And then there's going to be an accounting for this. How did you spend it? Did you invest it in the kingdom of God? Or was it simply all about you? There's going to be an accounting. Verse 15. And the first servant, he invested wisely. He invested in the kingdom of God, right? He invested in the kingdom of God. He gets a tenfold increase. He had one. He ends up with ten. 
And I love how he speaks here. He says, he says, Master, your your mina made ten more. There's this, there's this, there's this humility saying, Lord, I know you're really behind all the prophet here, but it's your mina that made the prophet. I was just, you know, I was just part of the deal. I was just along for the ride. And every true minister knows this. Every true Christian knows this. I'm just really along for the ride. And whatever God does in my wake, it's just gravy. You know? And this is kind of what he's saying. This is kind of what he's saying here. God brings the increase. We just sow and God brings the increase. But what I want you to see here is this lavish reward uh, that God gives to this, this servant. God had entrusted him with three months' wages and he got a tenfold return, which is 30 months' wages. And then God says, rule over ten cities. Did I, say, did I, did I read that? I don't think I've read that yet, have I? Yeah, verse 16, and the first appeared saying, Master, your, your manna has made ten more. Verse 17, he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. Right? My point here, one of my points here is, is just how extravagant God is in his reward, right? Again, um, he earned 30 months' wages for the kingdom of God. This is nothing to God. Nothing to God by comparison. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, not including, you know, the 400 billion galaxy cosmos. He owns it all. But beloved, I I still love that that thing Jesus said. He said, he said, I'll tell you the truth. The man who gives but a a cup of cool water to one of my own, he says, they will not lose their reward. God, God acknowledges Everything done in the kingdom. He knows it and He will reward it extravagantly. You say, well, Jim, I'm a simple accountant or I'm a simple this or I'm a simple that. It doesn't matter, man. Are you making much of God? He's going to knock your socks off. Right? He's going to knock your socks off. You say, well, I've just earned 30 months' wages back on what God has given me. You're going to rule over 10 cities. My point is how lavish God is. In the second service, verse 18 and 19, the second came saying, Your minah master has made five minahs. And he said to him also, You uh, are to uh, be over five cities. So you see the proportionality. The first man, <clears throat> the first man uh, uh, got a return of tenfold. The second man fivefold. They got a proportional reward. This is how God works according to His Word. I want you to see that how you use the gifts of God in your life and the stewardship that you engage in on the planet, how it will determine the parameters and dimensions and scope of your eternity. Yes, we are saved by the grace of God. We can in no way earn it. But rewards are a completely different thing. Right? Our rewards are based upon our stewardship and works. This is the clear teaching of the Word of God. For the Christian, this parallels 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15. You know, the Bema seat where the Christians come. and Did they build with, with uh, 
with uh, gold and precious stones? Or did they build with wood, hay, and stubble? How did they build on the foundation of Jesus? It's not about sin. The Christian's not judged for sin. Sin is gone. Jesus took care of sin. This is not about sin. This is about reward. We need to understand that. The sin is gone. This is not about sin. We don't stand at the bema seat because of sin. We stand at the bema seat to receive our reward from our gracious and lavish Heavenly Father. It's a beautiful thing. Two comments about this. Many Christians that I've encountered uh, don't seem to think God is really serious about this. That, yeah, well, God's given me some gifts, but you know, He's not really bothered if I don't employ them in the kingdom. Do I have to tell you how wrong that is? <laughs> Of course He expects you to employ them in the kingdom. It's why He gave them to you. I was reading an article this week. You know, it's not so, it's not so you can uh, you know, have an orgy of, of self-absorption and, and have, uh, oh, what, how, how did the, the, the writer say it? You know, an orgy of, of, of self, selfish dreams, Right? I'm going to use all my resources and gifts to pursue my dream without consulting God. Um, one of the other errors I see in this regard is that many think that, well, if I make it to heaven, there's just going to be kind of a generic uh, commendation of all Christians. It's all going to be the same. No, the Bible is clear. This text alone makes it clear. It's not all going to be the same. It's not going to be generic. Those who have truly loved God and invested in the kingdom using their gifts for the glory of Christ, they will be rewarded. The question is, do you believe it or not? I mean, if you believe it, it'll change the way you live. <laughs> it just does. It, it changes the way you live if you believe this. If you dismiss it, it has no impact, obviously. And beloved, I'm just trying to relay what Jesus has said here. So Ruby and Laura and Jonathan Edwards got it right. They took the long view. They're storing up treasures in heaven. The Joneses, the, uh, the couple that retired early, they got it wrong. They took the short view. They spent all their time on trifles. I saw a Facebook post. About the only reason I go to Facebook, you see these great posts, but I don't, I don't even know who posted this, but it says, you know, no, nobody's going to say at your funeral, man, they had a great couch and some really cool shoes. Nobody's going to say that. You know that? Nobody's going to say, man, they were the best, they, they were the best dresser. You know? Or they had the best car ever. Nobody's going to say that. I hope. Or your funeral is pretty, it's pretty, pretty superficial. So this next steward here in the parable reveals this kind of utter disregard for their stewardship before God. It's an utter disregard uh, 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 not only for God, but for the gifts of God. Obviously, this is a false servant. He's a counterfeit or pseudo-Christian. He goes to church sometimes because he's in the mix here. 
but he does not see his life as a stewardship before God. Verses 20 to 26, and let me just summarize real quick. The master, um, the other came saying, Master, behold your minna, I kept it in a handkerchief. <laughs> God, what you gave me, I hid it from the whole world. I didn't use it, I hid it. Right? I hid it. And then he insults God, he blames God for his own apathy and lethargy and indifference. Obviously this guy is not a believer. Verse 23, Jesus said you should have at least put it in the bank. And I would have gotten my interest. Verse 24, God says take it away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Now here's a picture of heaven and hell. Those who enter into hell because they've willingly rejected Christ you know, as I've always told you, and I believe this to be true, so yes, Lewis is right, hell is locked on the inside. No man's going to come out of hell if he has to worship Jesus. The thing about hell is not redemptive. The thing about hell is they will just rage at God all the more. It's for God-haters. No innocent person ends up in hell, okay? God-haters end up there. So, Verse 26, Everyone who has shall be given more, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. So here's the ultimate dichotomy between the, 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 the long view and the short view, right? <laughs> it's, um, in my view, a powerful thing. So let's turn over to Matthew 25 real quick and we'll look at uh, the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, beginning there in verses 14 and 15. It's the same kind of story. There's some, there's some different nuances here. Let me just tell you, the minas, many people believe that's about the life you've received and how you're using it. This is about all the capacities and gifts and skills and talents and resources that you've been given, right? That's what the talents are about. A little bit different emphasis. Basically the same takeaway. Verse 14 for it's just like a man about to go on a journey when he called his own slaves and entrusted the, his possessions to them. Verse 15, And he gave uh, one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on a journey. So, uh, what I want to say to you here is this is an important distinction. Um, I'm not John Piper. You already know that, right? I mean, if I was John Piper, we'd have to have a much bigger building, right? <laughs> I'm not a five-talent guy. I'm not. I'm a one-talent guy. God expects me to use my talent, my gift, my capacity, my resources, my assets to the ability that I can. He doesn't expect a five-talent return from me. He expects a one-talent return from me, right? This is very important. We, so we can be who we are in Christ. We don't have to be jealous of anyone. We just be who we are and be faithful to, to what He's given us and use it. Yeah? Use the business for the kingdom of God. Another aspect to this is, and I think this is important to mention, 
How much access did you have to the Word? I think this is hugely important. You know, there are some people in the world, they're Christians, they've just heard the bare minimum of the Gospel and they're Christians, right? There's no way God would hold them to the same standard that He holds me. Right? I've been a Christian for 30 years. I've been to seminary. Right? I've been in ministry. I'm supposed to know the Word of God. Of course, I have greater responsibility before God. Greater accountability before God. I think that's an aspect, and I just wanted to mention it. So verse 19, God settles to return accounts. Verse 20, the five-talent guy earned five talents. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with what? A few things. And oh, guess what? Because I'm an awesome God... And a lavish giver, I'll put you in charge of many. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, uh, do you believe God's good? Do you believe He's a rewarder? It's Hebrews 11.6. You must believe that I am, and you must believe I'm a rewarder of those who seek me. This is why, you know, those Christians that, that really turn the world upside down, it's because they not only believe that God is, a lot of people believe that God is, but not very many believe He's a rewarder. If you really believed He was an omnipotent rewarder, you would obey Him at every turn. I'm not saying you'd be sinless. We're still in the Romans 7 fight. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about exercising obedience and being a good steward well done, he says. Again, we see the, the parameters and dimensions of, of the eternity is involved here. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Verses 22 and 23, same thing happens to the two-talent guy. He earned two talents. He got the same commendation as the five-talent guy. If you're a two-talent guy, God's not looking for a five-talent return. but He's looking for you to fully invest and use the talents that you have. Verses 24 to 30, just let me summarize quickly. This last servant in the parable, he did the same thing that the last servant did over in Luke 19. He cared nothing about his stewardship. He cared nothing about his stewardship. He actually lived his life in such a way he didn't, like, as if he never thought he would have to stand before God and give an account. He cared nothing about God. He cared nothing about the Word of God. He cared nothing about the reward of God. He cared nothing about it. He never said that, but by his life he declared, I don't care anything about this. And... What did he do? He buried it. He buried it. He never used it for the good of anyone, the body of Christ or the unbelievers in the world. He never used it. He buried it. He's like the secret agent Christian, right? Nobody knows I'm a Christian. I'm not going to tell anybody. There'll be too much heat, right, in my environment, in my orbit. So I'm fast and loose. He does the same thing to God over in Luke 19. Did he, he, he insults God and blames God for his own indifference. God calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Verse 26. And then he casts him into hell. Verse 30. 
Beloved, I hope you're hearing what God's saying tonight. He's exhorting you to take the long view. Salvation is a gift from God. You can't do one thing to earn it. I want to make this distinction again. You can't do one thing to earn it. You can receive it by faith, but you can never earn it. It's by grace. But the treasures you lay up in heaven, that's up to you. The authority, responsibility, and treasure that you'll have in heaven is up to you. Whether you are in charge of many things in heaven or not, it's up to you. I told you last week we will rule and reign in the new heaven and the new earth. We will be physical beings serving a physical God in a physical cosmos. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. We won't be cherubs playing a harp on a cloud. Who cares about that? I've actually run into people who believe this though, right? Who believe that kind of silliness. So God is telling us by your own obedience and your stewardship upon the earth, you will be rewarded forever all out of proportion to your efforts. Do you see why the Joneses spent spending the last two or three decades of their life simply maximizing pleasure? Do you see why it's a tragedy? Do you see why it's an unspeakable tragedy? It's like the guy who hid the minai in the handkerchief. It's like the guy who buried his talent. They didn't care what God gave them or what God says. And again, there's nothing wrong with retiring. It's what are you going to do with all that time? Are you going to make much of Jesus? Or are you just going to maximize pleasure? So if you've been in this church a long time, I've already said it uh, earlier, but it's not about you. Colossians 1.16 You were created by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. So, I think you know. You're breathing His air. You're eating His food. You can ignore and reject Him if you wish, but He owns you. You are His intellectual property. Whether you love Him or not, whether you ever bow your knee in this world or not, to Jesus Christ, you are His. He built you. He designed you. He has a copyright for you. And then God gives man the, the freedom to just ignore Him and reject Him. But do you see why Ruby and Laura's deaths were not a tragedy? They were making much of Jesus. They were becoming rich toward God. And again, not simply because they were missionaries, vocationally, but because they were missionaries in their orbit. And I hope that's what you are. I hope you're a missionary in your orbit, in your home, in your neighborhood, at the university, at the office, in the career. You're a missionary in your orbit. So, can you imagine the homecoming for Ruby and Laura, right? <laughs> can you imagine? And what is death for the Christian? It's just stepping out of this dimension and into the next, bam! Looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ, right? And he has this big, huge, giant, incandescent smile, and he says, Well done, Ruby and Laura! Welcome 
to my kingdom. Enter into the joy of your master. Right? It gives me goosebumps. I'm, it's like Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I'm hard pressed. I'm ready to go. It'd be very much better to be with Jesus. Beloved, it's why I preach the way I preach. You know, I get critiqued all the time. <laughs> you know, Jim, you yell too much. Jim, you're too serious. Jim, there's too much theology. Jim, you should give more illustrations. Jim, you should be, try to be more funny. Blah, 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 blah. I get all these illustrations, right? But listen, when, listen, you can go watch the media if you want a comedian, right? You can go watch the media if you want to be entertained. But when you come in here, I'm going to challenge you to take the long view and I'm going to challenge you to lay up treasures in heaven. I'm going to challenge you to make every day count because, beloved, every day does count. If you're a child of God, every day counts. Every day you get up, you can ripple eternity. Amen? Every day you get up, you can ripple eternity. No other people can do that. Only God's people can do that. Only God's people can do that. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians 3 and we're done. This is the Bema seat. This is not about sin. This is about reward. 1 Corinthians 3. I think it begins in verse 10. This is just an excerpt from that chapter. Let each man be careful how he builds upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now if any man... Builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident, for the last day will show the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon Jesus Christ remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. Mm. God incarnate says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, You save us and You do all this stuff through us and then you tell us you're going to reward us for it. It's like it's almost, it's unbelievable. Your goodness, your kindness, how you lavish and uh, blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing for a billion eternities. Lord, we praise you. What a great God. What a good God. What a bountiful God. Oh Lord, I, I pray some of us in this room we need to recalibrate a little bit. We've become distracted with the world. We've forgotten that first and foremost we are stewards. All of this is really not about Jim. All of this is about Jesus Christ being magnified through Jim. God, help me be faithful. Let me be a faithful steward. Lord, to know You and love You is enough. It is enough. I've said it myself many times. Just knowing and loving You in heaven is enough. And as we talked about last week, <laughs> it's not out of necessity that there are derivative joys in heaven. 
It's just out of the bounty of Your goodness. So Lord, thank You for these great promises. I pray that we would take them to heart. I pray that they would change the way we think and more importantly, the way we live. We love You, Lord. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how clear it is. Thank You how we can stand on it. Thank You how we, we can build an eternity on it. Thank You, great God, for this privilege of laying up treasures in heaven. We give all glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd love to sing another song, but I guess uh, we have to now. Molly wants to. so One of those good songs you were singing. I don't know which. Good, Good Father would be good, or that other one, the rooftop one, or one of those good songs.